This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Utopia of Usurers by G. K. Chesterton Section 2 Part 3 Unbusinesslike Business The fairy tales we were all taught did not like the history we were all taught consist entirely of lies. Parts of the tale of Puss in Boots or Jack and the Beanstalk may strike the realistic eye as a little unlikely and out of the common way, so to speak, but they do contain some very solid and very practical truths. For instance, it may be noted that both in Puss in Boots and Jack and the Beanstalk, if I remember aright, the ogre was not only an ogre but also a magician and it will generally be found that in all such popular narratives the king, if he is wicked king, is generally also a wizard. Now there is a very vital human truth enshrined in this. Bad government, like good government, is a spiritual thing. Even the tyrant never rules by force alone, but mostly by fairy tales. And so it is with the modern tyrant, the great employer. The sight of a millionaire is seldom, in the ordinary sense, an enchanting sight. Nevertheless, he is in his way an enchanter. As they say in the gushing articles about him in the magazines, he is a fascinating personality. So is a snake. At least he is fascinating to rabbits. And so is the millionaire to the rabbit-witted sort of people that ladies and gentlemen have allowed themselves to become. He does, in a manner, cast a spell such as that which imprisoned princes and princesses under the shapes of falcons or stags. He has truly turned men into sheep, as Circe turned them into swine. Now the chief of the fairy tales by which he gains this glory and glamour is a certain hazy association he has managed to create between the idea of bigness and the idea of practicality. Numbers of the rabbit-witted ladies and gentlemen do really think, in spite of themselves and their experience, that so long as a shop has hundreds of different doors and a great many hot and unhealthy underground departments, they must be hot, this is very important, and more people than would be needed for a man-of-war or crowded cathedral to say, this way, madam, and the next article, sir, it follows that the goods are good. In short, they hold that the big businesses are businesslike. They are not. Any housekeeper in a truthful mode, that is to say, any housekeeper in a bad temper, will tell you that they are not. But housekeepers, too, are human, and therefore inconsistent and complex, and they do not always stick to the truth and bad temper. They are also affected by this queer idolatry of the enormous and elaborate, and cannot help feeling that anything so complicated must go like clockwork. But complexity is no guarantee of accuracy, in clockwork or anything else. A clock can be as wrong as the human head, and a clock can stop as suddenly as the human heart. But this strange poetry of plutocracy prevails over people against their very senses. You write to one of the great London stores or emporia asking, let us say, for an umbrella. A month or two afterwards you receive very elaborately constructed parcel containing a broken parasol. You are very pleased, you are gratified 
to reflect on what the vast number of assistants and employees had combined to break that parasol. You luxuriate in the memory of all those long rooms and departments, and wonder in which of them the parasol that you never ordered was broken. Or you want a toy elephant for your child on Christmas Day, as children, like all nice healthy people, are very ritualistic. Some week or so after Twelfth Night, let us say, you have the pleasure of removing three layers of pasteboards, five layers of brown paper, and fifteen layers of tissue paper, and discover the fragments of an artificial crocodile. You smile in an expansive spirit. You feel that your soul has been broadened by the vision of the incompetence conducted on so large a scale. You admire all the more the colossal omnipresent brain of the organizer of industry who admit all his multitudinous cares did not disdain to remember his duty of smashing even the smallest toy of the smallest child. Or suppose you have asked him to send you some two rolls of coconut matting, and suppose, after a due interval for reflection, he duly delivers to you the five rolls of wire netting. You take pleasure in the consideration of a mystery, which coarse minds might have called a mistake. It consoles you to know how big the business is, and what an enormous number of people were needed to make such a mistake. That is the romance that has been told about the big shops in the literature and the art which they have bought, and which, as I said in my recent articles, will soon be quite indistinguishable from their ordinary advertisements. The literature is commercial, and it is only fair to say that the commerce is often really literary. It is no romance, but only rubbish. The big commercial concerns of today are quite exceptionally incompetent. They will be even more incompetent when they are omnipotent. Indeed, that is and always has been the whole point of monopoly, the old and sound argument against a monopoly. It is only because it is incompetent that it has to be omnipotent. When one large shop occupies the whole of one side of a street, or sometimes both sides, it does so in order that men may be unable to get what they want and may be forced to buy what they don't want. That the rapidly approaching kingdom of the capitalists will ruin art and letters, I have already said. I say here that in the only sense that can be called human, it will ruin trade too. I will not let Christmas go by even when writing for a revolutionary paper, necessarily appealing to many, with none of my religious sympathies without appealing to those sympathies. I knew a man who sent to a great rich shop for a figure for a group of Bethlehem. It arrived broken. I think that is exactly all that businessmen have now the sense to do. Section 4. The War on Holidays The general proposition, not always easy to define exhaustively, that the reign of the capitalist will be the reign of the cad, that is, of the unlicked type, that is neither the citizen nor the gentleman, can be essentially studied in its attitude towards holidays. The special emblematic employer of today, especially the model employer, who is the worst sort, has in his starved and evil heart a sincere hatred of holidays. I do not mean that he necessarily wants all his workmen to work until they drop. That only occurs when he happens to be stupid as well as wicked. I do not mean to say that he is necessarily unwilling to grant what he would call decent hours of labor. He may treat men like dirt, but if you want to make money, even out of dirt, 
you must let it lie fallow by some rotation of rest. He may treat men as dogs, but unless he is a lunatic he will for certain periods let sleeping dogs lie. But humane and reasonable hours for labor have nothing whatever to do with the idea of holidays. It is not even a question of ten-hour days and eight-hour days. It is not a question of cutting down leisure to the space necessary for food, sleep, and exercise. If the modern employer came to the conclusion, for some reason or other, that he could get most out of his men by working them hard for only two hours a day, his whole mental attitude would still be foreign and hostile to holidays. For his whole mental attitude is that the passive time and the active time are alike useful for him and his business. All is indeed grist that comes to his mill, including the millers. His slaves still serve him in unconsciousness, as dogs still hunt in slumber. His grist is ground not only by the sounding wheels of iron, but by the soundless wheel of blood and brain. His sacks are still filling silently when the doors are shut on the streets and the sound of the grinding is low. THE GREAT HOLIDAY Now a holiday has no connection with using a man either by beating or feeding him. When you give a man a holiday, you give him back his body and soul. It is quite possible you may be doing him an injury, though he seldom thinks so, but that does not affect the question for those to whom a holiday is holy. Immorality is the great holiday, and a holiday, like the immorality in the old theologies, is a double-edged privilege. But wherever it is genuine, it is simply the restoration and completion of the man. If people ever looked at the printed word under their eye, the word recreation would be like the word resurrection, the blast of a trumpet. A man being merely useful is necessarily incomplete, especially if he be a modern man and means by being useful being utilitarian. A man going into a modern club gives up his hat. A man going into a modern factory gives up his head. He then goes in and works loyally for the old firm to build up the great fabric of commerce which can be done without a head, but when he has done work, he goes to the cloakroom, like the man at the club, and gets his head back again. That is the germ of the holiday. It may be urged that the club man who leaves his hat often goes away with another hat, and perhaps it may be the same with the factory hand who has left his head. The hand that has lost its head may affect the fastidious as a mixed metaphor, but God pardon us all, what an unmixed truth! We could almost prove the whole ease from the habit of calling human beings merely hands while they are working, as if the hand were horribly cut off like the hand that has offended, as if while the sinner entered heaven maimed, his unhappy hand still labored laying up riches for the lords of hell. But to return to the man whom we found waiting for his head in the cloakroom, it may be urged, we say, that he might take the wrong head like the wrong hat. But here the similarity ceases, for it has been observed by benevolent onlookers at life's drama that the hat taken away by mistake is frequently better than the real hat, whereas the head taken away after the hours of toil is certainly worse, stained with the cobwebs and dust of this dustbin of all the centuries. 
the supreme adventure all the words dedicated to places of eating and drinking are pure and poetic are pure and poetic words even the word hotel is the word hospital and st julian whose claret i drank this christmas was the patron saint of innkeepers because as far as i can make out he was hospitable to lepers now i do not say that the ordinary hotel keeper in piccadilly or the avenue de l'opera would embrace a leper slap him on the back and ask him to order what he liked but i do say that hospitality is his trade virtue and i do also say it is well to keep before our eyes the supreme adventure of a virtue if you are brave think of the man who was braver than you if you are kind think of the man who was kinder than you that is what was meant by having a patron saint that is the link between the poor saint who received bodily lepers and the great hotel proprietor who as a rule receives spiritual lepers but a word yet weaker than hotel illustrates the same point the word restaurant there again you have the admission that there is a definite building or statue to restore that ineffaceable image of man that some call the image of god that is the holiday it is the restaurant or restoring thing that by a blast of magic turns a man into himself this complete and reconstructed man is the nightmare of modern capitalist his whole scheme would crack down like a mirror of shallot if once a plain man were ready for his two plain duties ready to live and ready to die and that horror of holidays which marks the modern capitalist is very largely a horror of the vision of a whole human being something that is not a hand or a head for figures but an awful creature who has met himself in the wilderness the employers will give time to eat time to sleep they are in a terror of a time to think to anyone who knows any history it is wholly needless to say that holidays have been destroyed as mr belloc who knows much more history than you or i recently pointed out in the pall mall magazine shakespeare's title of twelfth night or what you will simply meant that a winter carnival for everybody went on wildly until the twelfth night after christmas those of my readers who work for modern offices or factories might ask their employer for a twelve days holiday after christmas and they might let me know the reply section five the church of the servile state i confess i cannot see why mere blasphemy by itself should be an excuse for tyranny and treason or how the mere isolated fact of a man not believing in god should be a reason for my believing in him but the rather spinsterish flutter among some of the old freethinkers has put one tiny ripple of truth in it and that affects the idea which i wish to emphasize even to monotony in these pages i mean the idea that the new community which the capitalists are now constructing will be a very complete and absolute community and one which will tolerate nothing really independent of itself now it is true that any positive creed true or false would tend to be independent of itself it might be roman catholicism or mohammedism or materialism but if strongly held it would be a thorn in the side of the servile state the moslem thinks all men immortal the materialist thinks all men mortal 
but the moslem does not think the rich sinbad will live forever but the poor sinbad will die on his deathbed the materialist does not think that mr hackel will go to heaven while all the peasants will go to pot like their chickens in every serious doctrine of the destiny of men there is some trace of the doctrine of the equality of men but the capitalist really depends on some religion of inequality the capitalist must somehow distinguish himself from humankind he must be obviously above it or he would be obviously below it take even the least attractive and popular side of the larger religions today take the mere vetoes imposed by islam on atheism or catholicism the moslem veto upon intoxicants cuts across all classes but it is absolutely necessary for the capitalist who presides at a licensing committee and also at a large dinner it is absolutely necessary for him to make a distinction between gin and champagne the atheist veto upon all miracles cuts across all classes but it is absolutely necessary for the capitalist to make a distinction between his wife who is an aristocrat and consults crystal gazers and star gazers in the west end and vulgar miracles claimed by gypsies or travelling showmen the catholic veto upon usury as defined in the dogmatic councils cuts across all classes but it is absolutely necessary to the capitalist to distinguish more delicately between two kinds of usury the kind he finds useful and the kind he does not find useful the religion of the servile state must have no dogmas or definitions it cannot afford to have any definitions for definitions are very dreadful things they do the two things that most men especially comfortable men cannot endure they fight and they fight fair every religion apart from open devil worship must appeal to a virtue or the pretense of a virtue but the virtue generally speaking does some good to everybody it is therefore necessary to distinguish among the people it was meant to benefit those whom it does benefit modern broad-mindedness benefits the rich and benefits nobody else it was meant to benefit the rich and meant to benefit nobody else and if you think this unwarranted i'll put before you one plain question there are some pleasures of the poor that may also mean profits for the rich there are other pleasures of the poor which cannot mean profits for the rich watch this one contrast and you will watch the whole creation of a careful slavery in the last resort the two things called beer and soap end only in a froth they are both below the high notice of a real religion but there is just this difference that the soap makes the factory more satisfactory while the beer only makes the workman more satisfied wait and see if the soap does not increase and the beer decrease wait and see whether the religion of the servile state is not in every case what i say the encouragement of small virtues supporting capitalism the discouragement of the huge virtues that defy it many great religions pagan and christian have insisted on wine only one i think has insisted on soap you will find that in the new testament attributed to the pharisees End of section two.